Put him on his back. Thurston, right foot kick, down the ground, into the end goal almost. Hodgson cuts it off. Hodgson taken by Norton. He took him late. Marshall skips away. Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Marshall's got Richards coming up outside. Now inside. Richards pursued. He pushes Johnson away. And we're live. Tuesday, the 14th of March, 2023. You're back with another somewhat somber episode of the Tiger Town podcast, heading into round three, reviewing round two. I'm Zach, he's Toby. How are you this evening, my dude? Going well? My mate messaged you yesterday and said, I don't have the motivation to do this one today. Yeah, I can't imagine why. What was that, sorry? Can't imagine why. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Can't. No, 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 it's, it's, it's baffling, isn't it? Like where, why don't I have the motivation at all? I don't know. Oh, I know. It's because I go for a shit team. Are you talking about NRL side? Oh, my other teams are pretty good. Only my NRL team lets me, breaks my heart. Yeah, true. You take the shortcuts on those other teams, don't you? Oh, mate. Look, look. The easy way out. Nah, nah, nah. I just, uh, I, I can pick a good team all the way. You know, it's what happens when you pick the, the Celtics and the Patriots. You just know Boston's going to deliver a good team. Yeah, I think evidently I've just got this curse on me where every team I pick early stages in my life just are perennial losers. I don't know uh, what the go is. Hey, you are a Richmond Tigers fan. You won back to back. Yeah. Yeah, well, they had a bit of a dynasty there for a while, which I guess is, is reasonably good. Richmond Tigers, but you pair them with Cleveland Cavaliers, which I guess I have seen them get a ring, which was nice, uh, and the Arizona Cardinals, and I've seen them play in a Super Bowl, so I guess it's not all bad. No, no. See, like I said, the only one that really lets us <clears throat> down is the Tigers. Power of positivity. Fuck that. I had positivity for the first. Actually, just after the the Titans game, I was still a little bit positive. That positive, that positivity has just been thrown out the window. You can tell by the fact that yeah. we're dropping f bombs, and we've only been doing this for five minutes. Excuse us, folks. I think the internet is is playing up a little bit. If that's the case, we'll just push through. It should write itself all in good time. So just bear with us. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, it's about round twenty. Then, judging by that demeanor, <laughs> feels like it. Yeah. Like I just want to end again. Well, just for say- saying before we went on air that. Um, we're two rounds in and Sunday Sunday nights have become a, a little bit woeful and unenjoyable all of a sudden. Hmm. Yep. You, you automatically start looking forward to work to take your mind off how shit we were on the weekend. Um, it's been spoken about at large. It's been spoken about quite a lot in the last, what, 36 hours, I guess, across all the networks because one, we sell papers, we get clicks because we're a, a big club. It's easy to bash us, and rightly so at the moment. Um, do you have a non-generic take on that um, performance on the weekend, or just where you put us at the moment? What do you mean? Something that, that hasn't already been well, just non-generic. I mean, you know, we've heard all the we're all for we're disgusting, where ABC it's inept, it's disorganised, it's all this sort of stuff. We've heard all, all that stuff, and we don't disagree with it. But have you got a a unique take of sorts or well, anything else you want to sort of I add to you um, Sunday night. 
I believe I figured out what our actual problem is. We are a shit club. That's it. It's not the players. It's not the coaches. We are just a shit club. And the perfect example of that is we had probably the second best hooker come into our club. We had probably the best back rower come into our club. And both of them looked like reserve graders on the weekend. Both of them. They had not put performances on like that for Penrith and they had not put performances on like that for Parramatta. But yet they joined the Tigers and they settled for mediocrity. And mediocrity. We are just a shit club. We destroy players' careers. We signed Adam Blair and everyone's like, oh, he was a shocking, shocking sign. I'm like, well, no, maybe actually he was a very good signing. He just went to a shit club. We bought Josh Reynolds, who was, uh, you know, been in multiple premierships, uh, took Blues to a state of origin victory, was probably one of the top three or four, five eights in the game at that point in time. Had to go to the Super League to get his confidence back. We took in Moses Embai, who, yeah, he's not, he wasn't fantastic, but he was still pretty good at the Bulldogs when he was there. Came to us, and now he, by the end of it, he ended up being. You know, went to the Dragons to be a utility off the bench to get some game time. We destroy players' careers. That's my take on them. Lovely. <laughs> what a way to what a way to open the show. Yeah, well um disagree with me. Look, it's hard, it's hard to argue that there's not a pattern there, most definitely. And the thing is the club is an entirely different club to what they were in 2012 when we signed Adam Blair. Um, so as much as there is a pattern, I get, as much as there's an argument for those patterns, I think there's also an equal argument against it in saying that football clubs are very transient beings and over the space of three or four years, they completely change and evolve. If not coaching structures and coaching staff all the way down to high performance, then at the very least salary caps, if not, football administration. So um, they are ever morphing, very liquid liquid type entities, football clubs. And so I guess drawing comparisons over decade, over a decade plus periods of time um, can be something that I guess on the surface level, there's a pattern there, no doubt. And it's hard to argue with that on face value, but I guess, um, I guess the other side of the coin there is that, um, you know, different squads, different people, different administrators, different clubs playing out of different facilities, likely different home grounds um, with a different rule set in the NRL. So, um, yeah, I think you've got an argument, but I think there's obviously a counter argument uh, in regards to that in particular. So I certainly don't think that we've ruined <laughs> Coruscant or Papali'i yet, but I will agree with you that um, they haven't, they haven't exactly blown us off the park with what we should come to expect with players um, in that sort of position. In regards to Coruscant specifically, can I ask what it is in particular on the weekend, just in that game, just gone, uh, that you weren't a big fan of or that you didn't particularly like? Because i got a couple of comments uh, yeah, on him yeah. in particular. Yeah, and you have told me them, and you know, obviously we'll get onto that. And they are good points. But for me, it was... Like, he was known for his craftiness at Penrith, but he was also known for his leadership. Mm. He just looked like he wasn't interested. Didn't look like he really... He looked like he was in second gear most of the time. And that's disappointing if he's your captain as well. 
So, and like, I don't know, like it's it watching him, it didn't look like the Api we come to know. Even like you can sit there and say he was with the best pack at Penrith and some of the best backs, but he was even really good at Manly. And he was even like, you know, he, he wouldn't say he was behind the best pack there, but he was, you know, a decent pack. I'd like to say we have a decent pack. Obviously, they didn't show it on the weekend, but... Was was he not at Manly when they made the top four, though? No, I think that was Croker, wasn't it? I don't think Croker's been around that long. This was maybe four or five years ago. Because he was at Penrith for three years, wasn't he? Um, yeah. So 20, 2017, I think. Maybe 2017, he was at Manly and then possibly moved across... But that's what I'm saying. The, point, the reason I the reason I bring that up is that <clears throat> um if Manly themselves made the top four when Coruscant was there, no, it's sort of a chicken or the egg. So it's no doubt that he is a quality like top of his field when it comes to dummy half. But then I think that the abilities of hookers in particular, I guess certain players in certain positions are magnified based upon the quality of the squad around them and how well that squad is, is clicking. So if Manly reached the top four at that period of time, clearly they had a gun squad at that time and that just magnified Coruscant's effect. And the same, obviously with Penrith since his time there. I'm not saying that just they a are reserved footnote to what, just a footnote to what you were saying. Yeah. I'm not saying they are reserved graders. I said, they look like reserved graders. And yes, it could be because of the extended squad and the fact that they all are just, we have two of, I don't know what even to say about those, the halves at the moment. Um, disjointed is the term that keeps being used, but I'll probably just say unskillful <laughs> uh, halves at the moment. Whether that's a confidence thing or what, because we've seen what Dewey can do in that Canberra game. We've seen it. Mm. He was dominant. He was calling the shots. Everything was flowing. Like we had structure. We had a lot of structure in that game. What happens in two weeks? Why is that gone out the window? What is what has occurred? And the only yeah. thing that is really coming to mind is Brooks coming to this the team. Now I mentioned this before. I, I mentioned this in a chat that you and I have. That the thing I noticed about the game was our halves were left and right. There was no cohesion. There was no set plays. It was Brooks was always really playing the left. Dewey was always playing the right. That's basically how they stuck. Every once in a while, they might have come together for something, but that's how they were stuck. Whereas that game against the Roosters, I mean the Roosters, the Raiders, you know, we had Wakeham and Dewey, but Dewey controlled the game. Controlled the game, wanted the ball in his hand, wanted everything, and it just flowed. Yeah, well, Wakeham played that game, didn't he? He did. He did. And that's why Dewey yeah. had to pull the shots. And that's fine. But it just shows that yeah, um, the left and right isn't working. Yeah. I I said to you before we went to air tonight that I went back and watched. I only got the chance to watch the first half again. Um, I don't know why you do that to and, yourself. Well, it's for the reasons I'm about to outlay. But as I did turn the TV on and, and click on KO, I had a pit in my stomach not wanting to do it. But I thought... But I, I, and as I mentioned to you um, just prior to, to going on, um, I was actually really glad I did because there's a few, there's many things that I could start to talk about. And it, it I wouldn't say it left me feeling fantastic, but um, I felt, as I'm sure everybody did, listeners, 
yourself, myself, everyone we know that's a Tigers fan, people that are non-Tigers fans just left that, left Sunday night if they watched that game just going, ugh. Like, if it wasn't, if it wasn't us just feeling dirty and disgusting and embarrassed and all of those things, then it was people on behalf of other other supporter bases feeling almost schadenfreude um, in that, you know, whether they were enjoying our misery as Tiger supporters or almost feeling bad or sorry for us. Like I said, that it was at that point. But um, having gone back and watched that first half, there's a few notes I wanted to make. The first thing is the first half actually had really decent structure. And when I say really decent structure, as in I, I sat down and I watched this really, really carefully. So it took me, it took me an hour and 47 minutes to watch uh, the first 36 minutes of football. So that was how many times I slowed it down, replayed it, and went through different bits and pieces really carefully. Um, every try scoring opportunity for both sides I went through. I watched the sets really closely in terms of our movement um, and our movement off the ball in attack. Um, I had a look at, I was focusing particularly on line speed and our defensive structures. Um, so get to the point, Zach. Okay, here's the point. Yeah. Um, uh, goodness, that was loud. Um, <laughs> so I guess I will relay back to what you're saying. I I encourage you if you get the chance to go back and watch it, and I know you don't want to, um, because you'd mentioned the left and right thing on Sunday, so that was something I particularly looked out for. Um, I didn't notice that in the game, so I was specifically looking for that. In fact, there were several times where Brooksy was playing both sides and playing a lot of eyes up football. He had a a break that he made himself. He had a half break that he put Dane through. I think that was in the second half, though. Uh, and he did a lot of jinking across field. Um, so he he free-floated a fair bit. I think Dewey is very stuck in his right-hand side. He plays on that Talao side. Um, and I think he's he's one that is very fixed in, in that role. But I think Brooks floats a little bit more. Um, so the next thing was uh, the structure, as I mentioned a moment ago, was very good. The forwards were running relatively well. Um, there was movement on the ball. There was a decent amount of short passing, creating enough with the forwards prop to prop, uh, the odd person getting turned under. There was enough. We were making decent meters. We weren't getting dominated in the middle. So the fundamentals were fine in that first half, at least. So the 36 minutes that I watched in that first half, the fundamentals in terms of our forward game were fine, which is what you expect baseline. So where were the problems and what did I notice? Um, try scoring opportunities. So... There were uh, several that seemed very obvious that we we butchered. There was two late in the second half that I haven't rewatched, but I've rewatched the highlights and I'll get to them in a minute. But um, several times there were overlaps, and uh, let's go uh, let's go through Newcastle's first try because I watched that live and thought that was disgusting. And so what what actually happened in that situation is that they were in a perfect block play. Um, where Brooks got two caught inside and Gamble was outside and Gamble got on the outside of Brooks and it was Brooks's fault. And so what Naden tried to do then is retreat and he retreat retreated and slid sideways when it, the horse had already bolted. So it was too far. Brooks overcommitted on a man he didn't need to commit to. I don't know if it was Leo Thompson or if it was um, Frizzell out on their right edge, but Brooks was too close and Brooks being, being quick, I think he anticipates that he can push off that second rower and get to the outside man. He was in a poor position. Gamble ran a perfect sweep um, as the main feeder in that backline play. And then Naden was, Naden was stuck. The only other option would have been 
Naden and, and Staines to jam in really quickly, but that still would have just been fixing Brooks's mistakes. That was 100% on Brooks, that first one. Really disappointing. The second try to Newcastle, which came a few minutes later, was Gamble again. So evidently, Tyson Gamble had a, had a cracker of a game, and he sucks. Like, he, you look at him, and he's just one of those under-your-skin types, like, you've, like we've never seen for a long time, I think. Um, but so he, he's about the most unlikable first-grade football, but... We saw Tyson Gamble throw the flattest of flat balls to Lachlan Fitzgibbon. And to me, it looks forward. When I went and looked back at, at it, I think it is I think it is forward, but it's not as forward as I thought it was. I think it's probably a foot to half a foot forward, which is a forward pass, particularly because there was not a lot of forward momentum. And the problem with that ball that was so irritating is Lachlan Fitzgibbon ran a beautiful line and it just beat Dewey all ends up. It was entirely Dewey's fault. They were one-on-one. Gamble was covered easily. I think Kapoa was on the inside having had in covers easily. There was no requirement for Dewey to get held up, and Dewey didn't even get held up. He got held flat-footed. Lachlan Fitzgibbon just drifted out to his right, so he drifted out to Fitzgibbon's left in midair, and he just simply beat him on that ball. The ball was too flat and too good. They didn't get the forward pass on it because it wasn't a super blatant one, and Dewey just couldn't make the, the tackle. So, you know... Newcastle really those two plays they pulled them off perfectly and slight mistakes from our defense in that situation um they again like with the Titans we make minor mistakes in in defense and the opposition as much as we call them shit we're good enough in these two weeks at least in those two examples to capitalize now I'll keep talking about more stuff but I don't want to just own and just just dominate so um have I'm, you got enjoying any on those I'm enjoying have this keep going I'm enjoying this I haven't looked at it so yeah, have you got any thoughts on those couple of tries or um, any surprises? Any no, surprises no surprises. I think I mentioned that um, the Lock and Fitzgibbon one, I didn't look too closely. Like I, I saw that uh, Dewey got caught out, but I didn't think he got caught out that bad because I thought yeah, the pass, if you have a look at, like you said, the way that Lock and Fitzgibbon, he was heading at the man and then at the very last second, he's headed to the gap. Yeah, and so like, it was a it was a beautiful run by him. Beautiful line, um, and the ball was the, the ball the was just was perfect. Dewey was on his heels. If he was on his toes, yeah. maybe it'd be a different story. But he's on yep. his heels. If it was on a hundred percent, if he's on his toes, or if he was another half foot in front, Lachlan or Fitzgibbon wouldn't have had the opportunity to drift on him. Um, so again, the you know, and that's what the frustrating thing is that. On another day, Newcastle maybe don't have that perfection with that pass. They only bombed one opportunity, and it was and it was Gamble a few minutes later when he had an opportunity to pass to Heimel Hunt when they had an overlap. When Tommy Talia raced up and missed missed the tackle, excuse me, and and um, Gamble threw it over the sideline. So, with the exception of that, and for all of them talking about Newcastle was not great. Yeah, Newcastle dropped a lot of ball in the second half, but man, they had limited opportunities through our defense and they took every single one of them. Just minor defensive laps and they took them. Would you expect a professional football team to do that isn't named the West Tigers? <laughs> um, so I wanted to comment as well on Appy and I wanted to comment on um, Brooks uh, and maybe something on Laurie. So Appy in particular, um, and I've mentioned this several times in several places since Sunday night and it's only... Tuesday evening. Um, so I watched Appy really closely. Appy played um, pretty well, pretty to be honest. In what I watched, what I watched live, I felt that way. I noticed it live, particularly in that second half. 
but in that first half, he played. He, he gave great service to his um, to his forwards. He led line speed constantly. Um, he was he was chirping at people and getting up them when they weren't doing what they needed to be doing. He was he was indicating and pointing, and he was doing what he needed to, to be doing as a captain. He played well. The problem that happened with Appy is um, that he had a drop ball or something, or he, he fumbled a kick. Like that's that was a mistake, which is unfortunate. But he played he played well. The problem was there was countless times where Appy got a quick play of the ball and got out from dummy half and went to pass, and there was no one there. And when I say countless times, I mean, I started counting two or three live watching the game and then it just kept happening. And whether, whether it was the halves weren't in position or there was no shape where they should have been shape or there was no one pushing up on him, Laurie was nowhere to be seen. And I mean nowhere to be seen once. I saw Brooks on two or maybe three occasions push up with him and didn't get the ball. I think he might've got the ball once, but he wasn't quite there. But he was the only one with eyes up was Brooks going, Appy's out, I need to follow. There was no forwards there with him. Um, and, and geez, it was bad because I was sitting there going, this is a bloke who has played in systems where he just expects people to be pushing up on the ball, which is what good football teams do. It's what poor football teams are supposed to do. It's what the under-12s that I coach do. They push up with the ball carrier. People are just sitting back waiting for their turn. Um, and that was really, really concerning and really disappointed. And I think the biggest testament to the fact that um, Appy played well and he's in some ways trying to drag these other fuckwits along with him is that when Brooks had that attempt at that 40-meter field goal, did you see where Appy was? No. By the time the ball landed, he was five meters out from the goal line chasing it in the hope that it had hit the post and bounced back. He was the only one within 15 meters. The only player that chased that drop goal was Appy, just, just in case in the 79th, 80th minute, you know, and these are the little things that we don't pick up live, but we've picked up on, on highlights and, and, and whatnot. So it's, yeah, that was my take on him. Um, bottom line is Appy's trying to, to do what he can at the moment and whether he needs to start communicating exactly what these guys need to do, things that you would expect first grade footballers to be able to do, then he's got to start doing it. Cause I think he's coming assuming that, that people are going to push up on the football and, they're just not at the moment. So he's got to do some coaching on the run, unfortunately, but um, he's he's trying to do his part. Uh, Brooks, there was one run that Brooks did. So Luke Brooks makes mistakes. That's not news to anybody. Mm-hmm. Luke, Luke Brooks makes really poor decisions. There was one decision when we were chasing in the second half where he kicked it. We had a, a three on two. And it was literally the simplest of cutout balls um, for, would it have been Staines? It would have been Laurie in the corner at that stage. Laurie had been pushed to the wing because he hurt his knee. And he grubbed it. And Dom Young fumbled it and ended up grounding it in goal. We got the, yeah. we got the ball back. They did a short dropout. They got the ball back off the end of that. Yeah. You watch that back again. And there was another one with, with Dewey three minutes early when we were chasing, where all they had to do, those blokes, was simply pass the football to their outside man, and it was a try. And I mean like a fall-over try. So the, the thing about Brooks is that he made he made that break unassisted. He nearly put Laurie through up the centre. He keeps shooting sideways, trying to get runners off him, and everyone just stands back and watches him on their heels. And he's just running sideways, offering it up. And no one's running. There's no one running a line, running a back inside play. There's no one running a drift out. There's no one running a back on the ankle. There's nothing. So again, 
is that his fault for not communicating what he's doing? Do the players around him not know what they're doing? You would what he's doing. You would think that's a pretty basic thing that some playmakers do: drift across field, drop someone under, throw one wide, throw a flat ball. It's not exactly rocket science, but so it's it's as much it's as much Brooks and. I guess the unpredictable nature as to what he's trying to do and not communicating that possibly as it is people being unwilling to put themselves in situations that are what if situations like Appy did chasing that drop goal. People aren't running lines just in case Brooksy throws a flat ball to them and they punch through. People aren't doing this stuff. So he's, he's hands up in the air. Cause he's like, well guys, you've got to give me something. And I, I believe it's the same frustrations as what, um, what Appy's, I'm, if he's not already, would be feeling. I'm certain he will be if this nonsense continues, which is these guys are trying to create, but they need people in the team to be able to do basic stuff, which is come back in, which is which is run out, drift wide, punch lines, get movement going. Too many blokes are sitting back just waiting their turn. Um, the other thing the other thing that I was going to say was just, I mentioned Dane Laurie. There, there was a few backline plays. Dane Laurie needs to learn how to straighten. Dane Laurie gets gets the ball in several um, several decent sweeps. And the setups, this is the other thing. The setups are, are quite good. There were several situations where uh, Appy would get out and he'd have, actually there was two where there was Steph flat. Then he'd go out to Dewey at the back. You'd have Laurie sweeping around the back of that. And Kapoa was on that um, second row at that point. And Kapoa was hitting back, hitting that hole really well. Um, and we saw one where he got through where Fitzgibbon tackled Twole. And um, it got called an obstruction somehow. And there was another situation where if you hit either of those flat runners, it's good. But when Laurie was getting the ball at the back, rather than then straightening in and giving uh, who's out that side, Talia, the opportunity to be able to have a bit of space to move, he would actually accelerate to the corner to try to get that center to commit and then pop out. But the problem is you don't do that or you don't need to do that in that situation where you're running your men out of space. So Laurie is all at sea in terms of the ability to straighten the attack. He might be able to get that man one-on-one, but I don't believe he has the punch to be able to do that. So um, look, uh, there's a lot more observations and we'll get into them. And this has become a bit of a monologue. So apologies people for that. I, but, I don't know about anyone else, simple. but I'm enjoying it. So don't be, don't apologize. I'm enjoying I think, the analysis. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it's of a case of, once we get the emotion out of it, and the emotion is still in it, like you said, neither of us wanted to watch this, wanted to do the podcast. We wanted to do it, of course. We, you know, we know that, you know, we've got a decent number of listeners now that that enjoy hearing it, and and we love it. It's cathartic for us as well. But, um, it, it was a struggle emotionally and mentally to get ourselves up, at least when we initially spoke about it yesterday. I think we're we're going well by now, but, um. Once that all settles and you sit down, you rewatch the game and you particularly look for problem areas. The problem areas are not the forwards or the meters. We ran for more meters once more. That's not the issue. The problem areas is not discipline when it comes to penalties. For a second week in a row, we've halved their penalty count. So discipline is good. Meterage is good. They're not particularly punching through the center. They're not getting big sets on us. So that's good. Okay, because those are basic fundamentals that we have missed in the past. Uh, It's as clear as the nose on my face to everybody that watched that, that attack is the issue. And what I'm trying to do is trying to provide some sort of insight into where this attack might be breaking down because excuse me, watching that second half, which admittedly 
I haven't gone back and rewatched or analyzed yet, but I will do once the podcast is done. And I know that's, <laughs> I know that's not much help now, but um, the the point I was trying to make is that the you're a sadist. What's that? You're like I remember which one's which, but you're either a sadist or a masochist, the one that likes pain. Uh, it's a combination of the two. Maybe I'm a love child between the pair of them. <laughs> uh, but the point being is that the setup and the structures are not as abysmal as what they seem. But they're not. And the second half, I think, most definitely became frantic. Having only watched it once, it became frantic because they were chasing points. The game got away from them and the same problem. They are not a mature football side. That's not news to anybody. The same thing has happened for the last couple of years. Whenever the opposition team gets down to 12 men, we panic. And so there's a maturity that is required from those people. And you hope that people like Appy, who come in with this experience, can start to teach these guys. Luke Brooks is not a young man. He should know this by now, but for whatever fucking reason, he doesn't. Okay, so there is not a maturity when it comes to dealing with that, but they were chasing points. So you you understand to some degree uh, why there was a frantic nature about it. However, in the first half, the structures are reasonably sound and good. Alex Twole should have scored. He dropped the ball over the, over the line. Kapoa's try, it was touch and go. Look, it's, it's an interesting one. I... I watched it about 15 times on replay and seven times I'm obstruction every day of the week and eight times I'm Lock on Fitzgibbon steps into him. Twelve is actually on his inside shoulder the whole time until the last moment where Fitzgibbon drifts in front of him, wraps his arm around him and pulls him to the ground. It does look like Twelve runs into him head on, but that's because Fitzgibbon drifted in towards him. Um, so anyway, that's a funny one. If, if those two tries are scored, who knows what the case is? Um, you know, so it it then comes back to the fact that the structures aren't as, at least the first half, the structures aren't, aren't as bad as what they looked in the second half. I think that is somewhat a symptom of panicking and playing catch-up football, which is exactly what happened in the Gold Coast game, which is probably the reason why both of the performances look similar. They did not learn from it. They panicked once more. They tried to play catch-up. They started playing frantically. They lost their shape. They lost their structures, all of which were in place in the first half, despite the fact that we didn't get the points to go with it. I still think the structures that they had in the first half were not particularly effective. I think they should be a lot better, but they were definitely there. They looked like a football side in the first half. They unfortunately just kept dropping the ball again. So it was simply ball handling in the first half. The second half, who knows? Well, that was extremely insightful. And like I said, I was enjoying every minute of it. Still doesn't explain the fact that we had those structures and we had that in the Raiders game where we both agree that we, that was one of the better performances we've seen probably the last five years to not being that over the next two weeks. What has happened? What, why is forwards not following? Why are people not punching through the line? Why is this? Why is that? What has happened? Yeah. Well, if I go back to what I mentioned about the first half, um, you you could liken it, I guess, in the Canberra game, we took every single opportunity. Now, if we play that same first half again, the Kapoa try is allowed. The um, the uh, 12 doesn't drop the ball over the line, for God's sake. And we don't drop, what do we have, 18 handling errors on Sunday? I don't know how many of those were in the first half, but roughly half, I'm going to assume. So if we didn't drop good ball on the attack in nine or 10 um, of those instances, maybe we score another try or two. 
And so all of a sudden that becomes three or four tries in the first half alone, but, you know, and it just, it wasn't that, but. Here's the thing too. You watch the Canberra game and the halves took every opportunity and made the right passes almost every time. Yeah. The last two games, every pass basically has been the wrong choice. Like yeah. you said, how many times did they, they had the overlap and they kicked it? or they ran someone out, or they did this, or they did that. What is changing? Why has things... I mean, there you look at that camper game, you're like, these guys are gelling. These guys are understanding what they need to do. They need to do this. They need to do that. You look at the next... Two, like, if you sit there and you look at those two games, you go, oh, you know what? I can be forgiving because, you know, I can see the structure. I can see this. I can see that. When it comes down to the fact that you're against a team that are 12 men for 24 minutes, your structures should work most of the time. Reason being, they have one less person on the field. But you don't make the right pass. You make the wrong call. You make this, you make that. Do Are they not a confident team? Is it the fact that they are playing the catch-up footy and they're like, oh, you know what, Let, Let's we just need to score now. We need to score now. We need to score now. But I, I I can't I still can't fathom what is happening right now, and like you said, it might just be the fact of a couple of you know not taking our chances, not doing this, not doing that. But I think it's more than that. I think it's an attitude thing. I think they they've got back to the fact where they're like, oh, it's going to be another one of those years, and that's like at the end of the day, that that's that's a shit attitude to have because I, it's round two. Yeah. Yeah, well, to that to that point, it is round two, and I think it's too early for that. I don't think that that's it, but I most definitely think that you're on the right track in terms of not so much attitude but confidence. I think what happens is I think I think it's very easy to underplay the expectation that comes with playing at Leichhardt. I think it's very easy to underplay the expectation that comes with Leichhardt against teams that we are favourites that we should beat. And that people know at least at the very least that we should have an opportunity to beat. I think with all the positivity around, that peeps puts a lot of pressure on us over the off season. I know that not many of us anticipated a start like this. And so I'm sure the players are feeling that to a degree. I think that um the lack of confidence and the frantic nature in which we have played is a symptom of the fact that we fell behind early. And in the Canberra game, we fell behind early too, if you recall. They scored a try. They scored that, um, yeah, that fluke that to try it in the right-hand side. Shit. That was a fluke. The point of- oh, that's the thing. Like, you think about that, you could go behind the, the try line after a try that and say, Jesus, that was a fluke. You know, that's yeah. it. the tries that have been scored against us have been so soft. If you went behind the try line, you'd sit there and go, oh. what the hell? What am I doing? Um. So on sunday what was the final score it was 14 12 what was their third try uh dominic young cool. didn't he score that try uh, out wide another overlap he scored two yeah i think he scored two some for some reason i can't recall Not yeah so good. it's an overlap yeah okay um yeah so what I, what I was trying to say um, was that I think it's very, and it's an excuse, but I think it's a reason. And and the reason 
the reasons are compounding in terms of the confidence. This is a side, this is a, a set of halves that are coming off a wooden spoon, deserved wooden spoon, with a gigantic fan base that have a lot of expectation. These are people that have been battered from pillar to post in the media for the last two years, and rightly so. So when they are down in games, they know that they should be winning against a team that is under adversity and they're playing against 12 men and they know that they should be able to capitalise, but they simply aren't and people are dropping balls around them and people aren't moving where they need to go. They then become petrified of making the wrong decision. And by doing that, you're not backing yourself and you're going to basically ensure that you, you make the wrong decision. So Brooks in that situation in the last five minutes, when there was a three on two, he simply had to, he could have gone through the hands for God's sake, you know, one, two, and then, Laurie's in the corner or throw a simple cutout ball. There was He was completely unmarked. Heimel Hunt was eight metres in from the sideline and Laurie had eight metres or six metres to go and he put the kick in. The kick was the safe option. He's taking safe options at a time when he needed to just back himself. Same thing with Dewey. Dewey had Kapoa and Staines, I want to say, or Noffa on the outside. And it was around the same time, six or seven minutes to go. And rather than simply pass to Kapoa, who was unmarked and Noffa was unmarked, it was like a three-on-one. He tries to step back inside and then throws a wild ball. And then Noffa ends up flicking it back in or whatever and Gamble oh, intercepts, intercepts the pass. Yeah. So, you know, these guys are petrified of making the wrong decision. So they try to take the safe option. And the safe option doesn't lead to points. And they're not executing at the moment. So even it says that stuffing up the safe option. So you might as well go for it because... If you if you compare that to the way that the Knights were running theirs, where they took their chances when they had them, the ball from Gamble was a cracker. And it was, you know, like I said, it's probably technically forward. But it wasn't forward enough to be picked up. So it was a good pass. It led to a try. It was pinpoint perfect. And it came off. Um, the, the pass from, I can't recall who threw it out to, to Gamble. It, it must have been Jackson. Oh, it was Crossland. From dummy half was it Crossland? Was it? Yeah, absolutely. Where he, where he, bullet. Where he found, um, yeah, who, whether it was Crossland or, or Hastings, one of the two. No, it was Crossland. Where, so, but the dummy half didn't throw the sweet the ball out to the sweet man. No, but it was the bullet pass out of dummy half that got them on the outside originally. You watch that pass, and it was bullet like, and automatically cut out. Yeah, okay, yeah, I was okay. Yeah, I believe you. I, I, I was referring to the pass anyway that found um, found Gamble specifically. Like again, it was it just happened to be pinpoint perfect, and that's drilling it and that sort of stuff. But if you if you're not backing yourself to make those decisions, you don't get those tries. If you take safe options in that situation, and and to your point, the decision making is all over the place. So if you talk about confidence, well, in the Canberra game, um, many of those guys hadn't played a trial. So it was their first game. So they're off the hook there. They knew it was only a trial. So they could take a few risks and play a bit of that up-tempo sort of risk-taking footy. And it, and it came off. And lo and behold, when they weren't taking safe options, they were backing themselves. They made the right choice more often than not. But then you get this situation where pressure starts to build. It impacts your decision-making as a playmaker. And if you've already got the resilience in your decision-making um, of an eggshell, then it doesn't take much to crack that. And you're all at sea. And so... I see that as a gigantic problem with Dewey and Brooks at the moment. A gigantic problem. And I don't see that these blokes aren't good footballers. I just think that their decision-making is absolutely fucking shot. And Benji, probably not Sheens, because Benji will be able to speak to these blokes, needs to walk in and do one or two things. 
Either he says to them, we pull everything right back this week and it is basic footy and we're going to try to grind until we get our hands right. Or he goes in and he goes, I don't care if you blokes kick it out on the full. He goes, you back yourselves to the hilt and we'll live and die by the results. It needs to be one of the two because they're stuck in the middle at the moment and it's like paralysis by analysis live. They just, they make the wrong call on so many occasions. And I believe that it might be them. It might be them as players. It might be them as playmakers. That might be the majority of the reason why these particular players do these things and make these decisions. But in the case where it isn't, I believe that it is all this pressure that is happening as a result. Playing for this club at that venue against those teams in the situations um, of those games that they were in and chasing points and all this sort of stuff. And at the moment, these are not confident playmakers that back themselves. So that, like I said, there's two options. Pump up their tires, give them all the confidence and, and free reign in the world to go, you blokes go out there and back yourself and and see what sticks or pull it right back. Because right now they're stuck between the two and it's fucking nasty. <laughs> so off the back of that, because my thought process then was, why don't you just bring in a half that doesn't feel any of the pressure because he doesn't think he's going to keep his position in wake just to see what happens to see if it is that obviously i'm going back into my job let's a b test that um do you think that it's not that in particular decision but do you think there is a time for a change in some way or another because the way that you were talking then or prior to laurie for me says that he should do some time in the new south wales cup to learn the fundamentals that's how that sounded to me. Yeah. I think these guys are good footballers. And this is why people get frustrated with Brooks is because um, Brooks has been there way too long to have this still as a problem. Um, th- these are problems that are not supposed to affect seasoned playmakers and say what you want about Brooks. He's been around for a long enough time to be go. considered a, to be a seasoned playmaker. Um, we haven't won a game with Brooks at halfback since 2021. Jesus. There's a sobering thought for you. Yeah. Yeah. That okay. So, yeah. Okay. Now, um, he's probably not the sort of person then you drop back to New South, New South Wales Cup because what are you going to achieve? Okay. Either they, they figure out how to use him. I'm, I'm glad at, up till this point they haven't re-signed him as was the talk in the off-season. Because, you know, you figure out how to use him or you piss him off. Yeah. I think I think you're on the money in that I believe that Brooks and Dewey are most definitely the most talented and best halves in the club. But they don't work together because they are both so contingent on confidence. And when you're playing in a poor team who has a history of poor results and pressure and has had for several years, and these blokes have been part of that losing culture and they're carrying that, their confidence is going to be down for a long period of time. It's going to take a lot to pull them out of it, and it's we're going to have to win. We're going to have to win many games in order to keep it at a point where it can then plateau and continue all of its own volition. These two blokes are low confidence players, and and they're very confidence dependent players. So you get a Wakem in who is not on the level of those two. I don't believe that Brendan Wakem is as talented as those two, but I don't believe he is a confidence player. I no. believe he's a simple, straightforward, do as he's told, more of a robotic style half. And the benefit to that is you are sort of hedging your bets. Because if you're going in with two 
players who are very contingent on confidence and their decision, everything hinges on their decision-making and they could blow you off the park when they, if they both catch fire in the same game. The downside of that is what we've seen. When they're both decision-making is shot, the team can't score points. So you put you hedge your bets. You put someone in there that if that if one of the halves, who is a confidence player, is having an off day, we can still grind out something. We can still get the basics right because one of the halves is that simple, basic, glorified reserve-grade robotic-style halfback. They can kick to the corners. They can get us around the field. They can set up basic plays. They can build pressure whilst the other person works on getting their decision-making confidence back. Whereas... Obviously, the flip side of that is what I said a moment ago. Look, I like I said, that that was kind of my thought process. But this is probably a good time to segue into the teams this week because we've got the Bulldogs. The reason I want to segue into that is because obviously we'll talk through the whole team list and things like that. But on the bench is Wakeham. Now, he's obviously in because Simkin took that very nasty knock. Um, and I'll be the first one to say that I I don't think Saifidi's a dodgy player at all. I think he completely misread that. And there was no malice or anything. Seems, seems like a decent bloke, all that stuff. But it was it's a nasty tough, shot. But it, it was a very nasty shot. I think he's copping five or six weeks for that, which is just deserved. But five, Wakeham's in. Five, yeah. Wakeham's in. Now, is Wakeham yeah. in as a backup halfback? I mean, a backup hooker? Or is Wakeham in to basically push one of the like, let's say Brooks into the into hooker and have him out? Because I've never seen Wakeham play hooker, and I don't even know if he could. Oh, I'm sure he could. A lot of these reserve great halves are pretty versatile. Um, you know, there's several that started out as halves that became hookers. Lachlan Croker, Jeremy Marshall King, they're all halves. True, and they become serviceable hookers. Um, so I've got no doubt he can perform a role there. Um, there's a little bit of mail. I don't know how reliable it is but um that there is a cloud over uh doing and so it's possible that wakeham could be a late inclusion for doing and i would i would assume in that situation that wakeham might play that more controlling half he would come in and then i would assume off the back of that then maybe rua comes in to replace that semi utility role or that uh give appy a break role which is essentially what it is yep there was some rumors tied to that. And again, it, this is rumors. It's It hasn't come from anywhere, particularly that I put any stock in. Um, but it wasn't, also wasn't just a fly-by-night gossip joke, was that um, there was some talk that Brooks was going to be stood down possibly for, for Wakem this week. And Dewey being under, under an injury cloud might have given him a stay of execution. Now, I don't actually believe that. Uh, given the fact how staunch generally Tim Sheens is with his selections and how much it will often take him to make selection changes based upon performance and how much of a staunch supporter he has been of Luke Brooks over the offseason and we're two games in. So I don't believe that that is the situation that we would expect to see whereby Brooks was due to be dropped. So how it plays out on the weekend, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. The advantage of having Wakeham on there is if there is an issue with the halves, we can do some shuffling if we have to. So he obviously does provide that that Jake doesn't provide, which is, in a way, I was actually, uh, I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't think of Wakeham as the utility, but I'm actually pretty pleased to have him there as an option. I think he's a, quite a good player to have at your disposal um, in that 14 jersey. So 
Yeah, it's interesting. Let's just go through the list quickly. Yep. So Laurie is out with a knee complaint, probably explains why he was pushed to the wing, uh, possibly the knee rather than getting hooked, as some people might have thought. Charlie Staines at fullback, Nofalum and Junior Tupo on the wings. Brett Naden, Stafford Toa in the centres. What Dewey and Brooks in the halves. Uh, Toikamano and Clemmer and Coruscant are the front row and hookers respectively. Kapoa holds his spot in the second row with Papali'i being out. Sean Bloor is back from concussion and Pole locks the scrum back from a minor knee complaint missing last week. The bench is Wakem, as we mentioned. Alex Twoll, Offerhan Gowie and Tumuth holds his position. Now, the reserves list is Manamua, Seafarth, Ruminatakura, Jareen Buller, who's got a lot of raps coming through the juniors as a fullback. Um, exciting prospect. And then obviously the big one sitting there on the reserve list that stands out like a sore thumb is John Bateman. So now before we get to talking about him and the possibilities of him getting a run, uh, what stands out to you in selection changes? There's a few this week. Obviously, many of them forced. Yeah, so obviously, uh, Stains in for Laurie. Ty in for um, Talao. Um yeah, like you said, uh, Kapoa and Bloor in there because Papali is uh in or suspended. I didn't even know what he was suspended for. I didn't see anything that he did to be honest. Uh, one one match dangerous contact on Jack Johns. I didn't even see it. So no, neither. Maybe it was like a cannonball tackle. He did. He, Jack Johns did. I that. remember at some. I remember at some point he hit somebody off the ball late after they passed, but it was it wasn't even that late. It was just a touch and go. And I don't know if that was it or not. I don't even know if that was Jack well, Johns on the field at that time. But well, Jack Johns was. Um, they were trying to keep his knee warm in the second half in case they needed him again. So it might have. So been I wonder like if it was a cannonball style tackle. Yeah. Style tackle. Um, okay. Pole in a lock is an interesting one. That there, because I, uh, I honestly would have thought that 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 would have been kept by Joffa. I didn't think Joffa was that bad, but. Um, yeah, obviously, they think that he offers more off the bench as a utility as a forward. The thing that uh, I mentioned to you was, I would start Joffa, and I would bench mm-hmm. Steph. Steph is looking lazy. Now it could be he's still underdone. He had a long off season. He had hadn't played for, geez, since mid last year. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fast game. He's a big boy. Had a really, really, really disrupted you last year. He did. I think I I think he needs to ease his way back in. I would have Joffa starting and Steph coming off, but yeah, I still like Joffa as a fronty. We've discussed this at lengths. I think he he's just he's a no nonsense like fronty in my eyes. He runs ball hard. He get finds his front. He gets up. He plays the ball. He tackles hard. Um, that's all you really want from him. He obviously doesn't have that extra element. Like, like you've mentioned, and, you know, I didn't notice it straight away, but now that you mentioned it, I've noticed it more and more, is the footwork of Polo. Um, that's definitely something that can be very, uh, you know, c- could be used quite effectively from a lock position. Mm. Um, apart from that, no real surprises there. Um, so, Staines, Staines, at, Staines at fullback. Um what do you think he offers? I, th- I actually thought that in the time that he was in fullback, we looked a bit more dangerous. He's, I agree. We all we all know he's quick, but man, he's deceptively quick. He just he doesn't look like he's running any faster than anybody else, but he just moves at one and a half times speed. The one thing that I noticed, and I've mentioned this to you, was the one thing that we criticise Laurie on time and time again is his support play. 
he seemed to always be there around sniffing for something. I think Stains? he took, yeah, I think he took yeah, a couple definitely. of funny hit ups off uh, Appy just because he was there. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. He reminds me a lot in terms of his positional play, like Dylan Edwards. I don't, yes. Dylan Edwards, he's, I'm not saying he's Dylan Edwards, but I'm saying he doesn't seem the most gifted ball player or anything, but he seems to get the positional stuff right. He's a brave, um, a brave player at the back, and he's always, as you said, sniffing around for an opportunity, which, to be honest, we haven't had a fullback back like that since Teddy and um, different beast, obviously, but I like the idea of a safe, a safe, brave fullback who uh, can create something out of small opportunities. Yeah. Um, uh, Junior, Junior Tupo on the wing. Now, did you happen to see his 90-metre solo effort on the weekend? I didn't, know. So it'd be worth going on looking on New South Wales uh, Cup highlights, the Magpies game. Yep. Um, so off the scrum, he received the ball from the lock, I think, um, at in the 5'8 position. Yeah, I think he's 20 metres out from the own line, just drifted sideways through the dummy, sliced straight through and ran the, the length. Did it easy. Looked good. I'm going to have to... I'm like... I'm going to have to find liking, liking more and more of... And I'll touch wood when I say that. We don't want to put mockers on people, but I'm liking more and more the opportunities of uh, Tupo when he when he's getting his chances. So, excuse me. Yeah, I've got it here. I'll be watching that as soon as this is over, That those highlights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it looks very good. Um, I'm, I don't mind seeing Toa back. I know that Toa had a couple of defensive deficiencies last year, but I also, that um, I think that, uh, look, he, he's, he's got plenty of first grade experience. He's not short in terms of toe. He's shown that he can score a try and he's shown that he's serviceable. So we've had far worse options slot into, I mean, I he was one of our, one of our first pick centers last year. Let's be honest. I prefer him as center than fullback. So yeah, there you go. Um, the other interesting one, as you mentioned, I mean, I actually don't mind the back line. Sorry, the uh, the forward pack. I like the fact that Bloor's back. So Bloor will, um, he'll mark on the opposite side to his number, obviously. So he'll be marking kick out. I think that's a that's a fantastic matchup. Yeah. I think if you if ever there was a second row that you wanted to have marking Vili Army kick out, it's going to be Sean Bloor, probably the best defensive second row we've had uh, maybe since Chris Lawrence. Probably. Yeah. No, and, and good to see him back. Actually, Kapoor keeps going from strength to strength. I'm particularly impressed by that bloke, mate. And I, to be honest, one thing I forgot to mention, sorry, just quickly, one thing I forgot to mention about watching even the first half highlights is his hole running is fantastic. Like, it's really good. And and he's strong and he's robust. Um, So he's, I hope long may continue, but he's developing into a player. Yeah, I like him at second row. I think he adds another dimension. Um, yeah. I think once, like, again, he's not used to playing second row and then he had to start last week. Um, and so there was a couple of defensive reads, you know, and that came to pure fatigue because he's not used to playing that far in and defending that much. But he gets a bit of that under his skin and I think he can be something special. I think that... Um. Yeah, I I think our back row stocks is looking very very good. Mm. I think that, yeah, again, it's it's frustrating to see these players go so well, but then the overall result is just frustrating. Mm. It's just annoying. Yeah, and we can see a lot of upside, and this is not us being blindly ignorant to the quality of the squad anymore. There is some genuine talent in this squad now. 
Um, and a lot of it, it, with the younger guys, it's potential and it is hopeful optimism. But these guys are showing bits and pieces of really good players. You know, you look at Kapoa, Bloor and Pole, the the back of that scrum. Those guys, are they're good footballers. They're young footballers, but they are good footballers. And um, it's just a matter of maturing into into regular first graders and I guess starting to to see the fruits of what that talent can do over a bit of time. So I'm just hopeful that over time we can see that stuff start to develop. Mm. Yeah. Um, you, you, you mentioned something a little bit uh, several times, I should say, and uh, I can't agree more. I think that Offerhand Gowie and Clemmer should be the opening props or the starting props. Yeah. Uh, I know that we're missing. Sorry, folks, just with the internet, we're still playing up a little bit, but we'll get it back. Um, no I know. Knuckles, by the way, just saying. Uh, that was just a focus thing. Hey, listen here. <laughs> let's, not, let's, not go down, let's not go down that path. There's a reason you've got such a good beard, mate. Sure. Anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, they're obviously, you know, Steph has such the potential to be a, such a dominant front rower in this competition. But at the moment, he looks rusty. And to be fair on Steph, he's not the only one that looks rusty. But I just think, if, if not for the first month of the season, he should have been given the opportunity to come off the bench. Because having, having him coming off the bench once Clamour and, say, Joffa start, geez, a semi-tired middle of the park with him feeling fresh, busting through the middle. Wouldn't that be one hell of an impact to bring to bring on? Didn't he uh, score an amazing, you know, half-field try because he was fresh off the bench last year? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So I just I just think that until he gets – again, I think he's another confidence player as well. We can see when he's got his um, his feathers up and he's all cock-a-hoot that he's, he's near unstoppable. Like I said, like I said a couple of weeks ago, make him angry. Um, but yeah, I reckon he should be on the bench. I think Joffa should be starting. Um, I would like to see that happen. I know that we know that Sheens is a sucker for a late switch. Twelve's doing twelve things. There's going to be a time, and I think we've discussed this, where twelve becomes surplus to our needs. Unfortunately, he's just not dynamic enough. Uh, but at the moment, he's making his tackles. He chocks up the middle reasonably well. But in a struggling side, it's hard to have too many workers in there. Yeah. Um, because you need you need dynamic dynamic uh, pronounce that you need to be dynamic <laughs> dynamic dynamicism was a word I was looking for um anyway let's uh, get to number twenty so number twenty glaringly highlighted obvious one there is John Bateman so uh good old Johnny B from the old dart he's over he's acclimatized now lucky him he's acclimatized to the climate good on him. Very pale Englishman that he is. Uh, but he's ready. He's in the extended squad. Why is he in the reserves, Toby? And uh, does he play this weekend? I would have no idea why he's in the reserves, but yes, he plays this weekend. Why 100% is, he plays. He in the I think it's just Sheen's been Sheen's. Um, I mean, <laughs> obviously. Why are you naming him? So he'll come in for Tumuth. Um obviously late and he'll play limited minutes off the bench. Uh if he's not ready to go, he wouldn't be in the in the squad. So if he's not if he doesn't play, I would be extremely surprised to put it lightly. So we expect John Bateman to come into the seventeen. And recent form aside, by all reports he was average at Wigan for the eighteen months he was there, but he was brilliant in the World Cup. 
and everybody knows what you get out of John Bateman. He's a competitor. He's got a hard edge, um, and he will make the people around him accountable and make them um, make them better footballers. So he could not come soon enough. Well, I will say that he's been named, and he hasn't been named in uh, the New South Wales Cup team. So take without he won't play New South Wales Cup. Yeah. Yeah. No, players like that, I don't believe it, playing New South Wales Cup. Because you imagine if you went to the effort of getting him over here, playing uh, paying the transfer fee and going, okay, we'll give him a little bit of game time in New South Wales Cup to get his match fitness in, and then he does his ACL in New South Wales Cup. Yeah. Could you imagine the fallout of that? So I believe players on that level, I don't think they'd do it the same way. They wouldn't have done that with Appy if he was underdone or Clem or anybody like that. Um. So, yeah, I don't believe that was anything that was ever going to happen. So, unfortunately, I think Toomuth might slide out and then we might see him come in, which means that the bench looks relatively good at that point. I think, if anything, Twelve's probably the weakest of, of those bench players then with Joffa, uh, John Bateman, and Wakeham offering a fair bit of spark and versatility out of the 14 there. No, 100%. So, daunting prospect against a much-improved Bulldog side at Belmore on Sunday, um, 4.05 p.m. again, same time slot. So hopefully the the Sundays of misery don't continue. How do you see the game playing out? Do you give us a chance, mate? <laughs> I'm done with uh, trying to give us chances. I just, like, honestly, yes, if we lose, we lose and we're pissed off and we're angry. But if we can put it on a performance and we can, you know, have things like make the right choices when we need to show some fucking ticker when we need to, I think I'll be relatively pleased. I'll be like, okay, well the first two weeks was, you know, fallen, you know, it sort of, let's forget about those. We're a different team. We have bounced back. If we get outplayed because Bulldogs decide to put on another performance like they did against the storm. So be it. But I just want to see us play well. That's all I want to see. I want to see improvement yeah. because right now we're somehow we've gone backwards from winning the yeah. winning spoon. We've gone backwards. We'll be the only team in the history, the way we're going to win a wooden spoon and still finish lower. <laughs> it's a long season. <laughs> Just like that. I said, emotions are high at the moment, but it is a long season. Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're seeing a Bulldogs victory then? Yeah, I think so. I think they'll win by, okay. Oh, but I don't like I'm see this is the thing. I don't I'm not gonna go with my my head on this one. I'm gonna go with my heart and I'm gonna say mm-hmm. that they, they're gonna win, but they're not gonna win by a lot. They're gonna okay. they're gonna win by six and it's gonna be a quality game. Yeah. Um I'm gonna say the same. Uh but I actually I wouldn't be surprised at all if we win. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get them out there at Belmore and um, I wouldn't say blow everybody away, but people go, oh, shit, well, we don't know what to make of them because that's what this club does. Um, I I would expect a much improved performance. I could see us playing really well and courageously, maybe losing another couple of HIAs as we tend to and then going down, if not in golden point, then by a couple of points again. More heartbreak for the club, but I could see the titles off the back again, off the back of that type of game. If the Bulldogs do get up in a tight one like that, something like Bulldogs... Bulldogs get over much improved Tigers or something like that. I can see that being the way that it plays out. And look, that'll hurt again. But at, at this mo- at the moment, we just want to see this side start to put together a performance. Look, we want no, forget that. We want to win. But look, 
the first thing we want to see is that this side actually starts to remember how to play football because tell me that this this side and this squad is not vastly improved on last year and last year's team managed to win games that we didn't give them a hope on so yeah 100% yeah all right bold prediction mate I'll, we'll, I'll keep that until he scores it so everyone knows what my bold prediction if you don't know go back and watch some other videos you'll know what my didn't he, bold prediction didn't he absolutely butcher the shit out of it on the weekend I had it I thought I had it Enough. he had to fall down another foot hold the ball and fall Insane that bite. You watch that. Nah, you watch nah, it. Not Tyson interested. Brazil, Tyson Brazil came over the top and whacked it out, and nah. somehow he didn't play at the ball. He Hold the ball, Chief. Hold the ball, Chief. Ball security 101. Come on, Twally. Now uh, I've got to listen to Tavy making this ridiculous bold prediction for the next 15 years. <laughs> He'll be doing it in bloody Masters Rugby League. Yeah, Alex Alexander Twelson from um, the under 48s down there in Group 17. He'll score a try this weekend. Get on your horse, son. What's your uh, what's your real bold prediction? Um, I'm going to say my bold prediction is Staines is going to put on a performance that keeps Laurie out of that number one position. Hey, I could see that. Yeah, so. I could see that happening really well. Um, mine is that uh, Bloor is going to shut Kickout right down, and Kickout is going to have a shocker. He's going to drop several balls, and um, he's going to completely nullify him. Now. As I said, I've already predicted that the dogs uh, very likely will probably get a win, so I don't think it's going to affect it. But I believe Blue is going to come back from concussion and um, I guess write the blueprint to how shutdown um, kick out. Just going on another segue because we're talking about the concussion. That that whole obviously there was that whole blow up with uh, Hastings and Talau at the back end of. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, should probably talk about that briefly. Now everyone's like poor sportsmanship, rah rah. He's just come off not playing football for 18 months and he's had to skate, like scratch his way to get another one year contract. And now he's going to miss football and potentially get knocked out of the side because somebody else outplays him. How would you not feel against Jackson Hastings for that? He wouldn't have cared who it was. He would have gone up and said, mate, this is my livelihood because you are a dickhead and you smacked me in the face. I missed a couple of games and I might miss an opportunity to cement myself. No one's looking at that from that point of angle, point of view. Everyone's sitting there going, oh, it's just more, and more the dickhead that is Buzz Rothfield. Um, oh, it's just oh, sportsmanship. Rothfield sucks. Oh, he's I like, think... on the field, stays on the field. I'm like, yeah, it does. It does. But, you know, keep it out. Like, you don't go up and, you know, talk to the bloke that's just had to overcome. And that's the thing. Hasty knows what Talao had to overcome because they did rehab together. He knows what he's had to do and he knows that he only got a one-year extension and he's trying to cement himself to get more. And he's got two kids to Lau as well. How would you not? Tell me to Lau. Yeah, he's got two. I met one of them. I don't think Tommy Talia's got kids. Pretty you think of somebody Maybe else? That was, oh, wait, no, that was McKaylee. That yeah. Was McKaylee. My bad. I met them um, at the same time. Yeah, okay. Which There's is- a lot of people that have the same have the same view. Mine's mine's the exact opposite, to be honest. Um, I and this is just a this is a personal thing for me. And this is just the way I operate. If someone makes an attempt to acknowledge that they made a mistake and they make a concerted attempt to apologise to somebody for something they've done, if somebody then it's not the onus isn't on them to accept the apology there and then, but to acknowledge it, in my opinion, particularly in the case of an accident. Um, 
and to turn around and, and be aggressive in return when somebody was simply going over to apologize and maybe check up in that situation, I think is a disgrace. I think it's an utter fucking disgrace. Um, and that's simply based upon the way that I would react. In that situation, I would have done exactly what Jackson Hastings done. He didn't have to turn around and say anything. He didn't have to turn around and go out to him and apologize. And the way that he was speaking in that interview, I watched it live and I watched him turn around. I saw Tom Tillows back there. I wonder if he, and he did, he turned around and went over there. And I, look, I, last year I started, I was um, doing um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and you know this story, Toby, but um, early in one of my roles, I I just turned and just, they're messy, the, the roles that you have. And I, just collided with his bloke's knee out of the blue and I've never broken my nose and I broke my nose. And um, I was started bleeding everywhere. I've never had a nose injury before. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? That sucks. Went to the bathroom, come back. He goes, yeah, all right. And I said, I know all I did was I cracked the joke. I said, yeah, no, I'm all right. The, the nose is shot, but I'm more concerned about your knee. Are you going all right? Like I made a joke about it because it was an accident in a contact sport. Hastings didn't mean to hit him in the head. At the slightest, like let's, it's, it's, let's go back. I never said it was the just, right thing. I never said it was right of what he did, but I can understand why he did it. I can understand why no, he well, frustrated. Yeah. Why no, that's right. Like, yeah, that's fair enough, mate. Like that's, that's your take. This is just my take. I'm just saying that, um, you know, a mature person in my opinion. And, and that's, that's just, I guess my definition, mature, mature person would have acknowledged that somebody recognized they'd made a mistake they, they took the effort to come over and apologize. And yeah, you might be dirty about it, but you acknowledge at the moment that this person is trying to make amends for a mistake that they made. Um, and it could be something like, yeah, it's fine, all good or whatever, or something like, yeah, I've got the shits about it. Thanks for, thanks for apologizing. And then wave them off or something. Something as simple as that. But to walk up and carry on like that, he's a 22-year-old. It's immaturity to me. It's silly. Um, I, I've got more of a problem with that than what Clemmer did. Oh, yes, all Clemmer did. Yeah, Clemmer didn't know what the situation was. All he saw was that they were together. Clemmer came over and defended his teammate and just basically said, you could all ask mouth what he said. It was just like a fuck off. Or was like along the lines, of, it's not the fucking time for that piss off or something like that. And basically just defended him. And then as soon as Hastings walked away, he bloody waved him off. He went over and he patted Talia on the head, just supporting the young fella. So... Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with Clemmer whatsoever. And all the media beat up. I don't give a shit about that. Those dickheads are just trying to write papers. Um, I'd be more disappointed if Clemmer didn't sit there and defend his young teammate. But yeah, and I look, I don't blame Talia for being angry. And I just blame immaturity for the response to it. I think a more mature person would have recognized. And it's hard. I get that it's hard. But I think a more mature person would have recognized that that was an accident, particularly because it happened earlier in the game. He'd had some time to process the situation. It was an accident. Hastings didn't mean to do it. Now, unless there's some history and beef behind there, but from what I what I heard in the media, or what they said in the media, Jackson actually sent him a message prior to his trial match saying, mate, you've done it tough. Congratulations on getting back on the field. It's where you deserve. Like Hastings sent him to that, sent that message to Talia before the trial game this year. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know. I can't, I don't know if there's any ill will there. So uh, I actually thought, Hastings did exactly what I would have done. I thought it was a really mature way to go about and try to apologize. Um, and I just thought the way Talia responded was immature and fucking stupid. And, um, but that's it. Who cares? Yeah. Whatever. Move, move yeah. on with it. Well, Tigers all... were dirty. Everyone had the shits in our club and understandably so. So yeah. 
Um, well, we all like remember when Hastings did his knee or his ankle Broncos game. It was one of the yeah. last ones to go and sign everything and all that. So we understand the attitude of the of the bloke. My thing is so just pause, pause that thought, don't lose it. But he, he mentioned the same thing, exactly the same. That was an accident put him there for six months. And Carrigan went up to him afterwards and apologized. And and like there was it was amicable between them. So even live, Hastings recognized that that accident that put him out for far longer than a broken nose, he had the maturity to be able to recognize, out of focus again, that um, that Carrigan made a mistake. Yeah, it's a 27-year-old compared to a 22-year-old. Yeah, like just yeah, different look, just different responses for different people. And it was disappointing for me from, from Tommy. But... but the thing that, yeah, it does bring up an interesting question or interesting thought. In the fact that he Hastings has essentially been run not run out of, but he has had bad blood with at least one or two players at every single club he's been at. He had it at obviously had it at the Roosters, obviously had it at Manly, went overseas, had it at Salford, at Wigan he had it with Johnny B. Yeah, he's not been, Salford. He did have it at Wigan. Yeah, Salford was a money thing, but yeah, definitely had it at Wigan with, with Bateman. Yeah, so. Yeah. Maybe there's obviously, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's something there that we don't see. But at the end of the day, yeah, quite, like, quite like I said, like I'm not saying it was the right thing that Talao did, but I'm saying that nobody's bringing up the other side of the, the coin. Everyone's just saying poor sportsmanship, poor sportsmanship, poor sportsmanship. I'm just saying that there is another side to this. So, yeah, yeah, there is. And you got to consider that when a, a individual people, give their irrelevant opinions on situations that don't involve them, i.e. me. And and you're right, that is a different perspective and Talao has his own perspective and you can understand why why he did that, but I just don't agree with it. That's all. Yeah. That's all it is. And that's um how you going there, mate. Sorry, you weren't on the camera until I was. Yeah, right. You're just taking your opportunities, eh? But um yeah, anyway. I was really disappointed by that. I understand emotions behind that sort of stuff. I don't like to see our players act petty. I found that as petty. Didn't have a problem whatsoever with what Clemmer did. I thought he was just defending his teammate, sticking up for the young man. And I want to see that out of our forward leaders. Um, but I don't like seeing petty, petty nonsense like that, particularly the way that Talao has been playing. He's been awful. He's been awful. And so, mate, get sorted out. Because I, I I like him. I like the potential that he has. But I was disappointed with his performances in the first two weeks. Probably back in the trials for that matter, to be honest. He has been no, less no, than... I'll, I'll go against that. Less I than, less than impressive. Very, very well in the Raiders game. He was another another example of a good player playing well in that trial and then not having a great game the next two. It's like, it, it's another common theme. Yeah, well, there you maybe, go. here's a conspiracy theory. Maybe Sheenzy is doing a rope dope for what? To what end? We lose the first. He... We lose the first two games. People think we're shit, and then we win the next twenty. It's trying to lure everyone into a false sense of security. Yeah, doing the old rope dope. I believe that he's playing the long game. Leaving nails alone, champion. <laughs> I believe that he's playing the long game, um, and he's not overly concerned about early. Um, early wins because he's trying to build something over several years and good luck to you. But the problem is the fan base has been here while you've been jet setting around England for the last decade. We've been suffering for a decade. So you might want to play the long game and good luck to you, but yeah, but we need, 
we we need and this club needs short term results too, even if they are just okay results. It's fundamental, and that's that's the reason why a lot of the Bateman talk was happening. If we were a side that was winning games anyway, we and we finished mid table last year, it would not be the end of the world. It wouldn't be the talk that it is. But we need results now, um, not for the long term sustainability, but for the short term. For morale, we need it for for the fan base because it this is a club in free fall, and you only stop that by wins. Bottom line, you only stop the free fall of of a club by winning football games. Yeah. It doesn't matter if against if it's against the Titans in round one, or you pull off a miracle on Easter Saturday or Easter Monday. Sorry, against the Eels again. It, wins are wins, and that's the only thing that puts smiles on fans' faces and keeps them coming back through the gates and keeps the support there for the club. Because I don't know that he realizes how um, how dire it is in terms of um, support levels for the club in the fan base. Oh, it's ridiculous. Patient, he might have patience, but we're fucking done. He, He's got to he's got to sit down with uh, a few a few stakeholders, fans, and people in the in the wider community involved with this football club, um, either directly or indirectly, and actually get a bit of a feel for what the sentiment is around the place. And that's that's not supposed to influence the head coach's decisions. I get that, but at least if he has an understanding of what this club needs at the moment, he might be have a little bit more urgency in terms of really pushing pushing for results. I don't Rather think than just he, wait and I, see. I've thought this for a while now. I don't think that he it's just him that should be facing it. I think that there should be somewhat of a Q&A with the Tigers players and the fans, to be honest. I've thought this for a while because I'd have so many questions for the like obviously you keep it respectable, you don't bash them, you don't do anything. But I would ask them, like I'd have so many questions for them. Like, why do you play for this club? Why do you play for this? And you know, be honest. Do you play for money? Yes, I just play for money. Okay, well that that we know you're here. So I'm sitting there and your your favorite phrase, paying for a paycheck, uh, playing for a paycheck. Oh please, <laughs> it should be called. His name should be David, playing for a paycheck, not for Luma. Ah, uh, no comment. All right, what are you doing? You're clicking something over there, are you? No, it's a fan. Ah, oh, it's a noisy fan. Yeah, I broke it. We, we might we might have to. You broke it. Yeah. That that wasn't watching game of football on uh, Sunday night by any chance, was it? That's a better story. Let's go with that. <laughs> All right. We'll stick with that one. All right, mate. Well, we better wrap things up there. Um, good show again tonight. I think, you know, everybody is feeling the pinch and that's not news to any of us. Um, fortunately for us, we've got only round three coming up this weekend and every opportunity to turn it around. We've got a few players coming back and the squad's still looking good. So um, he's hoping they can get it together sooner rather than later. We will see wins this year. That's a positive thing. We will see them win football games and hopefully they are on an upward trajectory, even if it started off very slow. So uh, this Sunday at 4.05 p.m. local time out at Belmore Oval down there in Sydney in Bankstown. Uh, for us Queenslanders and banana benders up here, well, we're not Queenslanders, but we live in that unfortunate state. It's 3.05 kickoff, and we'll be watching it, um, well, enthusiastically. We might come around by then. We'll see how we go. I think I'll, I'll be watching it on KO on my phone because I'll be out and about. So. Uh, there you go. How dedicated fan you are, my friend. Uh, as always, PSAs, hop on the Facebook page, hop on YouTube, subscribe, share, all that sort of stuff. In fact, the shares are really helpful. Um, so if you're able to share or just just to share without comment on any of your social medias, the Spotify and whatnot, um, that would be wonderful. Really appreciate people tuning in as always. The other two podcasts, West Tigers podcast, Westlife podcast, give them a listen if you haven't already. As we say every single week, they do it better than us. 
But that's it, mate. Um, we're doing our best to stay positive. We'll be here for analysis all year and uh, probably for many years to come at this rate. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, folks. And as always, looking forward to round three, Toby. Go the Tigers. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a hard one to say, but yeah, go the Tigers. Spit it out, mate. E-beauty. <laughs>